everyone. Welcome to the 401k Marketing Podcast. Are you ready to be the go-to expert in the retirement plan community? Listen in as we share ideas, resources, and best practices that you can use to professionalize your firm, demonstrate your authority, and earn more 401k business. Rebecca Hourhand's guest on this episode of the 401k Marketing Podcast is dedicated to helping financial service professionals grow their retirement practices with fiduciary-oriented solutions. Matt Walnowitz is president of Income America. He has more than 25 years of experience in financial services with specialties that range from leadership and competitive analysis to recruiting and strategic planning. And now Rebecca, as if that weren't enough, Matt also holds a board advisory role for Prime Capital Investment Advisors. Yep, Matt is a very important person, and I'll also add, he's one of my one of my real friends in this industry, so I'm so excited. Welcome, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rebecca. I couldn't be any, any more excited to get to spend some time with you today. Oh, it's a real treat for, for me especially. So good to see you. Hey, um, so when you started with Income America, remember you and I had a quick conversation and you were like, hey, I have this awesome uh, opportunity to join this wonderful firm. I'm so excited about it in your true Matt fashion. So if you can, want to share with the listeners why you joined Income America and give them a little sparkle of, of the true Walnowitz charm. Uh, Rebecca. You know, it's, um, it's interesting because I often say that Income America is really personal to me because I watched my dad get ready to retire in um, right before the, the, um, the first uh, dip hit in the market back in 2008. He actually retired at the beginning of the first quarter. And so um, I went with him to, uh, to visit with his advisor. And um, we had a conversation that... Um, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't exactly real encouraging because I asked his advisor what his philosophy was on asset allocation. And Rebecca, I watched the sweat start to form on his forehead as he said, "Just wait here a minute." And he kind of charged out of the room, and my dad put his arm on my shoulder and he said, "Son, settle down. You can't you can't treat him like that." And I said, "Dad, I just asked him a simple question." He came back in literally about twenty minutes later and dumped a pile of paper, probably a hundred pages on the deck and said, this is how we view asset allocation. And I said, no, no, Jim, tell me how you view asset allocation. And so, you know, it was, it was really kind of frightening um, because here my dad had worked his whole life. All that he really wanted to do is make sure that um, him and my mom had enough money to make it through the end of their lives. And so um, knowing that uh, there really wasn't a plan in place. Um, you know, I was pretty nervous. And as we left, I told my dad, I said, Hey, you know, we need to find some other advice for you. And, and he'd built a long time relationship with this person. And, you know, they played golf together and, and had really become friends more than anything else. And so it was pretty threatening to my dad. But, you know, as the market began the tank for a year and a half, he literally called me every day and said, at market close, what should I do? So it was a really scary time for him. And again, it wasn't about how he could make 20% more per year. It was just that him and my mom would have enough money to really live the life that they wanted to um, for the rest of their lives. So, you know, that always stuck with me. And in my time at Morningstar, Morningstar was always focused on doing the right thing for the end investor. And so, you know, when I made the, decide, uh, the decision to leave there and go to FI, it was terrible. I, I literally did cry like a baby. Um, 
because I, I couldn't imagine leaving. Um, and yet it was such a good opportunity for me to develop some new skills and, and really focus on fiduciary. Um, and at FI360, we really believed in empowering the advisor to do the right thing for um, the end investor. And so it was a cool, natural progression for me. Um, you know, and, and I was there for a long time and, and really became immersed in the fiduciary movement. And while I'd always believed in it, it was really cool because I could, um, I could really be a, a, an advocate and a voice and pretty activist about it. So that was, um, that was really exciting. And, and so um, after we'd sold the firm to, um, uh, to Broadridge, um, you know, and I was thinking about what I wanted to do next. I've got a daughter who's a sophomore in college who really wants to be an advisor. And, um, you know, I was really, really passionate about, um, you know, everything fiduciary. So, you know, when the Income America opportunity came up, it was such a cool opportunity for me because it married a bunch of my passions. And, um, you know, it's hard to believe that six months have passed. I've been literally having the time of my life. Oh, I love that. That's so great to hear. And you know, your story is rooted in real life. You lived this, you know, with your dad, with your mom, talking him through it, looking at their emotions, watch, I mean, to everyone, um, hopefully on this podcast remembers 2008 and just like the fear that was running through the streets and all of our, we were, remember we were all joking, our accounts were um, 201Ks. Yeah, well, I remember, you know, I remember being in New York out in investment firms offices and literally at the end of the day, we would just stand by the TV and you would just wonder how much it went down by. And I'm trying to remember, Rebecca, I think that the, I think the trough bottomed out. I can't remember if it was 49 or 54%. Um, but, you know, a lot of people thought that it was going to go lower than that. Um, and, you know, for, for the average investor, it just, it's so scary. It's the same thing. That I just saw um, something today that one year ago today was the trough in the dip that happened last year. And so, you know, it, it's always sad to see because, you know, everybody thinks that they can time the market. They also think they can win a lot of money when they go gambling and neither one of those ends up happening. So, you know, that, um, um, you know, knowing when the bottom is coming, nobody ever knows that. They never know when the top's there either. Nope, not even close. Um, I told Patrice in a previous uh, podcast that um, I bought my first stock when I was nine. Uh, wow, my dad's. What was it? Uh, it was Mattel back in the day because I liked Barbies. <laughs> my dad's always been a huge advocate of the stock market and talking about it. And this was, uh, I think, even pre CNBC. So we were watching like the nightly business news and you know oil oil futures and pig barrel future stuff like that and you know even my dad who's been playing the market for over 50 years now you know he's still nervous when you see the tanking and and you can never guess when the bottom's going to be just like you can't uh guess when the top's going to be in the best time to sell so why would you ask you know normal people who do regular things all day every day and the stock market's not their primary job Makes I know. No and, and, you know, and again, you know, I just, you know, I know from, for me personally, you know, as I've gotten older, you still want to get some market appreciation, but you definitely begin to think about, you know, what are my expenses going to be in retirement and making sure that you've got a way. And, and it's just kind of interesting as your perspective changes, because I'm not as good as you on social media, but, but um, 
I, uh, I, I do, um, you know, I do enjoy being on there and it's kind of scary looking at, I saw a stat today where on Robinhood, like the, um, the exact amount of deposits of being $1,400 and the stimulus money that might be going in. It's, um, it's shocking and it's, you know, it's scary all at the same time. Um, all right. Well, hey, let's talk about Income America. There's uh, a new product. Yeah. <laughs> a new product that just came out into the marketplace, which we're very excited about. And I believe the flagship product is called Five for Life. And uh, you mentioned in a recent Retire Holics uh, <laughs> video segment that uh, simplicity was really the reason why Five for Life easy name, easy to say. And then there's behind that, if you can kind of understand that that's what it is and describe it in a way, um, Matt, take it away. Give us a little radio clip as to what is Five for Life. Sure. Five for Life is, was designed really to be a win-win-win. Win for investors and participants, a win for retirement plan advisors, and a win for plan sponsors. Um, you know, in that, in that arena, um, there's so much regulation, Rebecca, that um, one of the core objectives was to create something that was simple. Because in a retirement plan, the investor or the participant really needs to understand what it is that they're getting. At the same time, the advisor has so many choices to make that they, they need to have a simple way to evaluate um, strategies and then really implement them. And for the plan sponsor, they're ultimately on the hook from a fiduciary perspective. So, um, you know, as we all know, th those sponsors, they have other jobs. They're the CFO, they're running um, HR, they're, they're the CEO. They have other things that they're focused on. And, you know, their, their 401k is gonna be just one portion of what they do. And so for them to be able to easily understand, not only uh, from a fiduciary standpoint, but also what their employees get out of it, because I do believe that most plan sponsors really have a plan so that they can take care of their employees. So it was really important for us to be able to make it easy for all those people to, um, to understand exactly what the solution did for them. So one of the things I've often said um, is, what's a pension? Like, what is it? I don't have a pension. Do you have a pension? Like how many people here have a pension? So in our industry, um, there's a lot of confusion around pension. Right now in our country, we span five different age generations that are currently in the workforce from the folks who are you know, the baby boomers who are heading out. You could even make the argument all the way down to the, I think they're called Gen Z now. And um, those folks, they're hearing their baby boomer counterparts still talking about pensions. Well, then you got the Gen Xers who are saying, I think I have something. I have a retirement plan, a 401k. And uh, TIA Naveen came out with a study and they found that 50% of the folks who have money invested in their retirement accounts believe that either target date funds have a guaranteed component. Oh. No. 50%. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Like that's half of our population confused. Oh. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that we still use this word pension. And, yeah. you know, it's just not true. It's not a thing anymore. And I'll take that a step farther. I remember, I don't remember what year it was, call it 15 years ago. And um, I'm a new advisor, you know, all excited on life. <laughs> and I'm talking to some friends of mine and I talked to them about guaranteed income. 
hey guys, what are your thoughts on guaranteed income? And they were you know, young, we're all in our early 20s at the time. And they're like, I like this idea, this sounds great. Yeah, okay. Well, lo and behold, at one point in our normal person conversation, someone said, wait a minute, is that an, is that an annuity? Like it was a dirty word. It was a bad word. They heard it from, you know, the talking heads on the CNBC is that annuities are bad. And this is, uh, you know, you just want to run away like the plague with them. All right. So income for life. I love your marketing, by the way. It's beautiful. Perfect. So whoever did it, nice job. <laughs> and wonderful, you have- Wonderful partner, Cracker Jack out of Boston. Oh, great. All right. Props for Cracker Jack. Um, so tell us, you guys have guaranteed income written all over your website. Mm-hmm. How'd you guys come to that tagline? And then how are you helping advisors and employers understand that that truly is what this is? Yeah. You know, the, the way that um, we came to it, Rebecca, again, was just really simplicity, you know, and using words that the um, that the participant could understand because you said pensions. If we said defined benefit, how many people would know about that? Zero? Zero. Maybe 1%, right? Defined um, what? <laughs> you know, so, so you know, the key again was, was really making it simple and, you know, just plain English that, um, that people could understand. So, you know, that's how we came up with the, um, that's how we came up with the tagline. You know, and, and again, when you think about making it simple for those three audiences, because there's different levels of sophistication for the participant, you know, 5% of their income base, which is basically just the contributions that they've made plus market appreciation, um, you know, that is pretty easy for anybody to understand. If there is no market appreciation because there's been a catastrophic event, you know, the sequence of returns is very much an industry buzzword, but that just means that if there's a crash before you go into retirement, it's really hard to ever recover for that. So with the guarantee, it's the guarantee is never going to be less than what their, their contributions are. So it's easy for the participant to understand. For the advisor, there just isn't much complexity to the product. It's really straightforward. It's, it's uh, American Century's glide path with open architecture, um, which I got in trouble on Retireholics for using the industry buzzword. So that just means that any asset manager it's safe here don't worry there's no smirnoff there's no there's no challenges you're in the you're in a safe bubble (laughs) but but it's easy because it's it's many managers that make it up and then there are a couple of levels of fiduciary so it's easy to understand and again for the plan sponsor it couldn't be any easier for the firm that's sponsoring it because they know that their employees have a monthly paycheck that will come once they reach 65. I really think that that is the most important factor um, for those firms because they work hard at making sure that their employees can accumulate assets by doing matches and auto escalation and things like that. But once they get to that retirement age of 65, I think that a lot of them feel a lot better knowing that um, those participants are gonna be okay moving forward. I mean, as an, as an employer myself, I, I pay my team every two weeks, like normal. And I, 
I, you know, again, I don't know if I'm supposed to share this, but I love it when I hear they're talking, when they're saved, they contribute to their 401k plan because we offer one and I love it. I'm so excited for their future. You know, some of them are talking about college savings plans and I'm like, yeah, go guys. <laughs> like, great job. So if, if I'm an employer like that, there's gotta be other crazy people out there like me ever. And you watch that over time and there's a moment of pride when you see how people are doing and they're really look achieving their goals. I recently wrote an article, um, it was called Normalize Retirement Savings. And it's all about um, we as a country, the, all the statistics today say that most folks are under undersaved, underprepared, not going to make it. It's going to be uh, basically a cliff where people reach retirement and they're all going to fall off this cliff. Well, I think as an industry, uh, we need to start talking about normalizing large retirement account savings balances and then like championing these people and saying, great job, congratulations, high five, you did it. This is what we as employers actually wanted you to achieve. It's not a pie in the sky, elusive goal. It's, it's a real tangible, you know whether we like to admit it or not, and I know I don't like to, one day I'm going to get old. <laughs> I'm not okay with that, but it's going to happen one of these days. And I'm going to be really happy that my employees and you know everyone around us has put away those pennies over time. Yeah. Yep. I, you know, I completely agree. And that's why I just feel like uh, I was talking to a CEO before the podcast and um, he said, you know why we have a, a 401k plan? And I said, well, you know, you probably want to make sure that you're competitive in the market. And he said, no, it's because we really care about our employees. And we know that an employee that, that has a secure future, um, that's one less thing that they have to worry about when they're in the workplace. And so, you know, Rebecca, it's, it's interesting and it's refreshing to hear firms, you know, that really believe in the success of their employees kind of all the way around. Because he said, look, we have to pay a market rate. Um, you know, we have to have a nice office, we have to have a, you know, a real productive workplace, but it's things like this more on the financial wellness side that they really believe makes the, you know, the employee more well-rounded and it just takes away one more, um, you know, barrier to success. So it, it's great when I, when I talk to firms that believe like that. Mm -hmm. And especially with the pandemic, if you look at really the top financial benefits that a lot of employers are looking at right now. Um, one of the main one is emergency savings. How can I get my employees to have an emergency savings account so that way they are prevented from taking uh, retirement loans, yep. same day at payday advances, et cetera. Well, hey Matt, going back to Five for Life for a sec, um, sure. I noticed that you guys avoided, and I love this, uh, any complications in like step up in basis and and um, changing the investment return over time. And then there was even, and I'll, I'll let you talk about this in just a sec. Um, there's even if, because one of the other fears of having guaranteed income for life is, okay, if I, if I go into this program or this account or this product, and then I get hit by a bus, it's gone. And yeah. all, all I've done, all my savings, all my hard work, my employ, my wonderful beneficiaries aren't going to get any of that. So tell us about those three things, please. Yeah, sure. Again, you know, the, the, the core, um, really the core thing that we wanted to accomplish was something that was simple. And so in some of the structures that are out there, participants have to make a decision at a certain age 
And then they can never, they can never change from that. They're locked into a decision that they're making well in advance of retirement. You know, Rebecca, some of the other things are that, you know, unfortunately, if people do pass away, um, that's just kind of it. You know, th there's no money left. And so um, the structure that we created has the 5% guarantee. It's not complex. If there's massive market appreciation, if the market goes up 300% over the next three years, and you want to take your um, money that you've worked so hard to accumulate and take it out and do something else with it, you can do so. So you're not locked into it. Um, you know, the other thing that's interesting is that if you want to take a portion of the savings that you have and um, allocate that to this guarantee, you can do so, so that you're not required to put your whole balance in there. If you wanted to contribute 50% to this and 50% to a regular target date, um, you can certainly do so. And so there's a lot of flexibility in, in the way that this is structured because in the regular version of the, of the solution, it's just a regular target date. So if you wanted to allocate some money there and some to the guarantee, um, you can certainly do so. The benefit of making a larger contribution to the guarantee is you're locking it in irrespective of what happens in the market. But ultimately the end participant has the flexibility to come and go as they choose, which again, that's much, much different than any um, retail annuity that somebody would buy, um, you know, if they took an IRA and, and rolled out. Yeah, and then you're paying the insurance for year after year after year you're in a, if you're in a traditional annuity. Well, hey, uh, I know another thing that, again, that the dirty word annuity, uh, because they always say it's astronomical fees. Now, I heard on the Retireholics, uh, so I have a little snippet <laughs> of what those fees are. And when I heard them, I went, oh, okay, that's not bad. That was my immediate gut reaction. Uh, so, Matt, tell us about the fee structure. Sure. You know, and, and again, th there's nothing wrong with, um, with the retail annuity. There just isn't. You know, some of the problems with it, though, is that, you know, traditionally they're sold and not bought. And you don't necessarily have to have a securities license to, um, to put clients into it. And so... You know, Rebecca, I, I told another story about I received a flyer in the mail last week that invited me to a uh, dinner at a really high-end steakhouse here. It wasn't in person, but it was virtual. They would deliver it to you. And then it was a seminar. And as I dug into the firm that was offering it, um, you know, they were not a registered investment advisor. Um, they weren't even licensed for securities. They were um, simply an insurance shop. And so those are, those are some of the buyer beware things that, you know, I think that begin to scare people out. And, you know, on, uh, on the retail annuity side, again, it, it depends if, um, if it's going through an RIA who's charging, um, you know, a fee based on assets or if it's commission-based, but typically around 300 basis points. One of the benefits to doing this in plan is that there's institutional pricing. So in the, um, in the targeted version, all in, it's about 32 basis points. The, um, the five for life version is 130 basis points. So, you know, again, on the margin, when you look at uh, the insurance, you know, protection that comes with it, um, institutional pricing is pretty hard to beat. Those are those are great prices. Uh, um, I, 
I think they're extremely fair, especially for the for the guaranteed side of it. Um, hundred extra pips is, I mean, if you, the market goes down, you know, and hundred extra pips feels like a savior. Um, so I, and then of course, if it appreciates, you still get the upside too. Now there are eight different companies that uh, uh, formed uh, an alliance here, a partnership, a collaboration, consortium. <laughs> consortium. I love all these words, <laughs> wonderful synonyms. So the consortium of eight firms that came together. Can you just give us a, a little overview of who those firms are? Sure. American Century Investments is the, the GlidePath manager. And then Lincoln and Nationwide are both the insurers. So they insure the GLWB. And then we also utilize their stable value um, products in there. SS&C Technologies slash DST is the um, fintech provider that provides the middleware that allows the solution to be portable because we haven't touched on that. If somebody leaves their employer and moves to a new employer where Income America is available, then all that money that they've paid in on the guaranteed side, it comes with them. Um, so it's really, really, really fantastic um, technology. Then Wilshire operates as the 321. Um, and then Wilmington Trust is actually the 338. So they're the trustee. They're also the, um, I'm sorry, they're also the 338 fiduciary. And then Prime Capital Investment Advisors is the um, really the, the product consultant um, who um, really puts this together behind the scenes and then helps coordinate activity amongst all the partners. So it's really interesting because you could look at several of those names and, and think, geez, aren't they competitors? Um, and in some ways they are, but you know, again, that was something that really attracted me to this solution. It was the ability to kind of have um, all these great minds come together and do what's really right for the industry. Love it. So let's say I'm an advisor listening to this podcast and I'm like, hey, I'd, I'd like to learn more about this. Like maybe one of my workplace retirement plan clients would be interested. Uh, who do I need to be affiliated with? What's, how, do I, how do I get in contact for more information? Yeah. It's a great question. So, um, you know, we are working with the broker dealers, do have some investment due diligence to get it approved. Um, for many of them, because there isn't any compensation built into it, um, they've approved it uh, already just based on conversations that I've had with them. But if anybody wants to get any more information, um, the website's a great resource. It's just uh, incomeamerica.com, or they could contact um, you know their local relationship manager from either Lincoln, Nationwide, or American Century, or um, right off the website, there's a um, uh, a little box that that's dropped down to get more information. So whichever way people are uh, comfortable with, we're also on LinkedIn and Twitter at, at Income America. I love it. All right. I've got two more questions for you. All right. So I'd like you to get out your crystal ball here and zoom ahead 10 years. And these are two part one and part two of a similar question. Part one is what do you think a normal workplace retirement plan is going to be like? That's the first question. And the second question is, what do you think the retirement plan industry is going to be like in 10 years? Take your time. Ooh, it's, a good, it's a good question, especially on the um, you know, retirement plan side. It's interesting when I think back um, over my career, I've actually been in the workforce long enough that I do have a small defined benefit plan from my first employer when I was there, 
they switched over to the uh, the 401k plan. And luckily, you know, my parents had just always talked about the value of um, compounding interest. So I kind of went all in as a, as a pretty young person. I don't even remember how much, but, um, you know, it certainly did um, accumulate over time. So, you know, I got to watch that. And then I remember when the target dates were just coming into the market and nobody really understood them and they didn't get great acceptance until a few years later. And then, you know, those firms, Rebecca, that were really first to market, um, they grabbed the lion's share of the assets there. And still to this day, it's, it's incredible that the top three providers have 70 or 80% of the market. And then, you know, there's seven or eight more that are, that are decent sized, but um, it's dominated by those top three. So, you know, is retirement income, and, and this is honestly the question that I get asked the most, which is, how is this different than other solutions that have been out there before? And it, it's a fair question because again, there's solutions that are out there that just haven't gained much in assets. You know, I think one of the big game changers was when the SECURE Act passed, that created a safe harbor. And so from a legislative standpoint, um, that really has opened up the market to this, but, but I do view it as an opportunity just like um, target dates. So, you know, I, I think that the plan of the future Certainly today, we've got all of the conversation around MEPS and PEPS. So providing access to more um, employees who maybe work for pretty small firms to be able to save. So, you know, I think that the retirement plan of the future, again, we're going to see more Americans involved in it simply because everybody's worried about Social Security and what the fate of that might be. So I think that people are beginning to realize that they're responsible for it on their own. And again, I think the traditional things that we've seen like auto enrollment, auto escalation, I believe that those will continue. But I do feel that plans will start to think about, especially because the DC plan has been out for about 40 years now, You know, what is that next evolution? Is the next evolution managed accounts? Probably, there's a fair amount of interest in that. But then you know, these ideas about de- decumulation, I do believe that in 10 years, it'll be a lot more standard. There's too much money. It's $17 trillion in these plans. There's too much money not to have an answer on the back end um, for these plans. There's so many advisors um, who you talk to who have this. It's, it's a very similar story. It's a, it's a story about climbing a mountain. So when you start out climbing a mountain, it's all about savings and investing wisely, diversification, increasing your savings as you get raises over time. And you know you, incre- you keep you keep walking up the mountain, hiking up that mountain. And then at the top is when you start the decumulation phase. And every advisor I've ever heard this story from says, now, did you know that when you climb Mount Everest, twice as many deaths happen on the way down as it does on the way up. And I love this. I've never heard that, but it's awesome. Talk to more advisors at conferences, Matt. It's a wonderful story. Um, Hey, FI360, I see you there this year, virtual, yes? I will. I could not, I could not leave my friends alone. Yes. I, yeah. And I will be attending your session, Rebecca. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it this year. It's going to be like all the years. I'm so excited. This is our fifth year, by the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> Very excited. So on the decumulation side, twice as many accidents occur than mm. on the accumulation side. And so when it comes to the retirement plan, I think it's the same story. Twice as many accidents, unfortunately, happen 
on the when people are in their retirement years. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think 10 years from now, we are going to see a very different world and it'll be better for the folks who are actually in those retirement golden years. All right. So last question, what does our industry look like 10 years from now? You know, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, and you could look at that in a lot of different ways. There, there's been so much talk about, you know, fee compression and consolidation. Um, I can't imagine that consolidation will slow down, especially on the record keeper side, as, as those firms look for um, differentiation and as um, advisors are forced with fee compression, I'd have to imagine that that will um, continue there. I think it's the same story, Rebecca, on, um, on the asset management side. I mean, we've seen some, you know, we've seen some movement there with firms, you know, looking really to get scale. So I think that that continues to grow. But the other thing that I think happens is this whole fintech revolution. I think that that really continues to grow. But but personally, I believe that robo has a place, um, but it's not the end all be all. I, I still believe in um, the human advice from a financial advisor, especially in times of turbulence. So I don't think that um, that really much changes there, except that I think that the to- the, the technology enables advisors. Um, to do more and to be more effective and maybe serve more clients. But I think that it'll be interesting, this younger generation, um, to your point, the Gen Z that isn't even sure what a target date is or maybe how much money that they've saved. They don't have a lot of assets now, but they will. And, um, you know, I think that that as life becomes more complex and you talked about college savings or kids or all these other things that people want to do, they do look for people with experience. So, you know, I think consolidation on the provider side, probably consolidation on the asset management side. And then look, the RIA space is growing um, like crazy. So I think that there's more and more of a flight to not only independence, but to, to true fiduciary advice, um, which again, I just, I fundamentally believe in. And I think that that's a good thing for uh, all investors. Love it. All right, Matt, if, uh, thank you so much for joining today's podcast. When folks want to get a hold of you, uh, how do they contact you? Find me on LinkedIn or at mwalno on Twitter. All right. Thanks again, everyone, so much for joining today's 401k podcast. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Rebecca. To get the latest episode of Rebecca's podcast, make sure you subscribe and don't forget to share with friends and colleagues. Thank you so much for listening to today's 401k marketing podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of our guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of 401k marketing. The content has been available for informational and educational purposes only. We hope you enjoyed.